want to let you know that I'll never put you on the spot to pray without asking you ahead of time. And even if I ask you ahead of time, you're not locked into praying. Uh, you don't have to give me a yes answer. I visited with someone earlier in the week, and they, they just looked at me very plainly, and they said, please don't ever ask me to pray. And I said, well, listen, I said, when you see me looking out, scanning the audience for someone to pray, uh, you don't have to avoid eye contact, because unless I've asked you ahead of time, I don't plan on calling on you. So if, uh, if you get asked to usher or collect the offering or anything like that, don't think that that puts you on the spot to pray. So I uh, want you to feel good about that. Anyways, if you're here and you've got your copy of God's Word, let me invite you to take it and open up to the first book of the Bible. We're going to be in the book of Genesis. We're going to flip to uh, almost a dozen different places in the book of Genesis, but I'm going to keep you in that same book, and I've got one or two scriptures elsewhere, but you're welcome to stay right there in the book of Genesis. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get started this morning. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, as always. We thank you for this time that we have together to open your word. Father, I pray that through your word that you would feed your people. Father, I pray that you would use me to do it. Father, I pray you would do great things through us and with us. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we take a deeper look at the subject of worship, I pray that we would all indeed worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to we're going to take kind of a, a tour through the book of Genesis, and we're going to look at the topic of worship. We're going to kind of look at what worship is, and I just want to kind of say off the bat that I think worship may be a little bit different than what you have in mind. Worship is right. If I were to ask you what type of music is popular in churches, or Starting in the 80s, what type of music became popular in, in churches? You might say something like praise and worship music, right? That's a, we have a style of music called worship music. And is there anything inherently worshipful about that music, do you think? No, thank you. <laughs> thank you. No, there's nothing inherently worshipful about it. And there's nothing inherently worshipful about a set of words. What makes something worshipful is what's in the heart of what's going on in someone. For example, I've told you this probably a dozen times. You got the story of Cain and Abel in the scriptures. Cain and Abel both come before the Lord. They bring an offering to the Lord. Cain's offer offering is rejected and Abel's is accepted. They're both doing the same thing. One's accepted, one's not. And it's because what's in the heart of the worshiper. And the evidence for that is backed up in the book of Hebrews. You find that Abel brings his offering through faith and Cain doesn't. And so you can do whatever you want. And if it's not accompanied by faith, there's no way that it can be worship at all. And so what I want to do is I want to look at some of the first instances where worship is used in the scriptures. And just to be quite honest with you, it shows up in a couple of different forms. If you were to look only in the book of Genesis, the word worship shows up two times. The word worshipped with an E-D on the end. I know that's tough with the southern draw to understand worshipped instead of worship. But you have two times that shows up as well. So I want you to start out in the book of Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 verse 5. First time the word worship shows up. This is when Abraham is going to offer Isaac. Abraham looks to his people that he's around, the people that came with him bringing all the supplies. 
Genesis chapter 22, verse 5 says, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Then if you flip over maybe a page or two to Genesis chapter 24, verse 26. Abraham has sent one of his servants off to a distant land to get a uh, someone for Isaac to marry. The young man finds someone for Isaac to marry. And in Genesis chapter 24, verse 26, it says, Then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. You flip over, you might have to, same chapter, chapter 24, over in verse 48. He recounts the story back to Abraham. And he says, and I bowed low and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who had guided me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. And then over in Genesis chapter 47, Genesis chapter 47, that's almost at the end of the book of Genesis. Chapter 47, verse 31. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is about to die. Jacob is about to die in Egypt. And if you remember, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, doesn't want to stay in Egypt because the Lord promised him that he was going to give his people the, the, uh, the promised land. And so at the end of his life, he's about to die. He says, swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. And so what had happened is Jacob had made his son, excuse me, Jacob had made his son Joseph promise that when the people were taken out of Egypt to go into the promised land, that they would take Israel or Jacob's bones with them when they go. So he says, listen, don't leave my body in Egypt in this land of slavery. Take my body to the promised land and bury me there because that's the land the Lord has promised us. And so once he receives that promise from his son, then it says he bowed in worship at the head of the bed. And so I want to, before we jump back into some different scriptures, looking at some other words for worship, I want to take a second. You can go back to the beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter four. I'm going to go over to the book of Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to give you a good definition from scripture of what worship is. So I'm in Romans chapter 12. You're welcome to go over to Genesis chapter four and Romans chapter 12 verse one says this. This is Paul speaking to the church at Rome. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, listen to this, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So I'm going to read that again. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And so by definition from Paul to the church at Rome, worship is you presenting your body, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. And so check this out. Worship is is kind of two components. It's you offering yourself to God, but it's not just you offering yourself to God. It's you being holy And pleasing to the Lord, then offering yourself to God, right? It's not you being a sin-stained individual trying your best. It's you being holy to the Lord. Living your life set apart for God 
And then you freely giving that body to the Lord any way he sees fit to use it. You following me? That's worship. And so just because you sang a few hymns this morning doesn't mean that you worshiped, right? True worship is, is something that brings us to a place where we're fully giving ourselves to the Lord. And I want you to see this as we walk through some more scriptures. And so I'll read Romans chapter 12, verse 1 one more time. Then we'll jump back to Genesis chapter 4. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So now you're over, hopefully, in Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to follow some language that the scriptures use all the way through the Old Testament. If you remember, God creates everything you've ever seen in six days. At the pinnacle of his creation, he creates Adam and Eve, right? Give me a little head nod to make sure you're following. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. And so Adam and Eve got to see God face to face. They got to worship the Lord in the garden. And then when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, just the whole thing tanked and fell apart. They had sin in their lives. That sin separated them from God. God removed them from the garden and he blocked the way for them to get back into the garden. Okay? So Adam and Eve, you don't hear much more about them in the scriptures. But I've got to believe that Adam and Eve, this is opinion, okay? I've got to believe that Adam and Eve worshiped the Lord all the days of their life. And I've got to believe that they were full of remorse for what they did, eating from the fruit, sinning, being separated from God. And I've got to believe that that separation from God stuck with them, excuse me, being grieved about being separated from God stayed with them until the day they died. And you see some of this being worked out, some of this opinion of mine is worked out in the scriptures. Because uh, Cain, or excuse me, when the Lord has, or excuse me, when Eve has Cain and Abel, they say, the Lord has given me a seed. If you remember in Genesis 3.15, after Adam and Eve's sin, God promises that the seed of a woman is going to crush the head of Satan. And so Adam and Eve, when they have Cain and Abel, they're excited that the Lord has provided a seed which they think could be a potential way for Satan to be defeated. You following me? Cain kills Abel. Adam and Eve are naturally grieved. Cain gets banished. Abel's dead. Now they have no one around them. God gives them a child in Seth. And Eve says that the Lord has replaced her seed. Okay? And so Eve is always hanging on to that promise in Genesis chapter 3.15 of that seed that's going to be a deliverer from Satan. That seed that's going to crush the head of Satan that's promised in Genesis 3.15. And so I think you've got Adam and Eve that are worshiping the Lord. You've got Cain and Abel. Abel's worshiping the Lord. Cain's not. Now the worshiper of the Lord is dead. Cain's gone. God gives them Seth as a replacement. Now, all of that is groundwork for what we're about to read in Genesis chapter 4. So Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. This is kind of tucked in a little bit of a genealogy. I'll start back in verse 25. Chapter 4, verse 25. Adam had relations with his wife again. She gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring or seed in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. Verse 26. To Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And if you've read that before, you've, and you're like me, you've thought, wait a minute. 
It's not till after Seth's child is born that men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. I want you to see. It seems that this men here, seems that this men here is plural. So you have Adam and Eve are calling on the name of the Lord. You have Seth who hopefully is calling on the name of the Lord. We don't know much about Seth. And then Seth has a child also. Adam and Eve are still alive during all of this time. And now you have a generation of people being born who are plural. Now they're calling on the name of the Lord. So what does this calling on the name of the Lord language mean? Okay, this is worship language. Okay, and I want you to see that as we keep going through the scriptures. Now go over to Genesis chapter 12. And if you're thinking, wait a minute, this whole thing doesn't seem to make sense just yet. We're we're building something here. So we're, we're putting all the pieces of the table in place. Now you're over in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God has taken Abraham. He's called him out of the land where he lives. And he's told Abraham, I'm going to give you land, seed, and a blessing. And through you, Abraham, I'm going to draw the nations of the world back to myself. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7 says this. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And so you see that the Lord has revealed himself to Abraham. And Abraham has responded by building an altar to the Lord and worshiping the Lord in the spot where the Lord revealed himself to him. There's a real bright guy, a guy way smarter than I'll ever be. His name is John Lennox. He's one of the big Christian thinkers of, of today. If you want to, if you want to read some very, very intelligent things that are written about Christianity, Google John Lennox and read anything that he's written. John Lennox says that worship, this is his definition of worship, worship is a response to the revelation of God. And so he says that it's impossible for you to worship apart from what God has revealed to you. He says that God has revealed himself to you and worship is you responding to what God has revealed to you. Okay, so you look around at the eclipse, you look around at the stars and you see the things that God has created. He's revealed those things to you and you're overwhelmed with gratitude and thanksgiving. That's a response to what God has done. And so you're able to worship because you're responding to what God's done. You sit down at Thanksgiving dinner. You're surrounded by family. You're surrounded by great food and you're thankful. You feel very worshipful at Thanksgiving. You feel worshipful and you're able to worship because you're responding to what God has revealed to you. You following me? He's given you your family. He's given you, he's provided food. He's given you that revelation and you're responding to that as worship. Give me a little head nod to make sure this makes sense. So Abraham is worshiping God because God's revealed his plan, his will for Abraham. And then Abraham builds an altar and he worships. And so what is he doing, right? Is he, is he getting out his iPod Picking out a casting crown song and listening to headphones, worshiping. Is he singing? Is he praying? What do you think it is that Abraham is doing or that Seth's son is doing that constitutes worship or calling on the name of the Lord? You don't have to answer this out loud. This is a little more of a high-pressure question than the last one, right? I'll tell you what he's doing. It's out of Romans chapter 12. This is what worship is all along. I'm going to read it to make sure I get it right for you. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. 
He's presenting his body as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. God's revealed himself to Abraham. And Abraham is responding by saying, yes, Lord, I'm here. I'm your servant. Whatever you want to do with me, I'm going to do it. And that's worship. Worship is a proper response to whatever God is calling you to do, telling you to do, or whatever he's showing you. That's what worship is. Do you know where I worship the most? It's not at our church. It's on the drive in between Windsor and Williamston. Cut the radio on. Listen to some music. And there's things in songs that I sing and use as a prayer. Now, that's why I do it in my car, because you don't all have to hear me sing, right? If I'm going to sing and worship here, it's going to be bad news. It's going to ruin your worship if I worship God the way that I want to, okay? True story. And so, if you keep going in the book of Genesis, you'll see more of this illustrated. Go over to Genesis chapter 13, verse 3 and 4. This is what I read to the kids. So Abraham's, now he's separated himself from Lot, It says that Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. This is chapter 13, verse 3. It says that he went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And so Abram responds to God in a certain place by building an altar, calling on the name of the Lord. He goes about his life and he walks by that altar again one day. He walks by that place where God spoke to him and he responded properly to God and that drives him to worship again in the same spot. You see, if if you've ever had an addiction or been to any sort of addiction program, they would tell you that in life you have triggers, right? And whenever these triggers take place, that pushes you back to whatever addiction you have. And so... In order to to live a life free from addiction, often you have to get away from those triggers. Sometimes those triggers are people. Sometimes they're places. So that's why sometimes someone who's an addict can't go back home. They can't associate with the same friends again because those friends are triggers and they pull them back into that same bad environment. But on the good side of this, Abraham's built this altar. It's a place where he heard from the Lord. It's a place where he responded to the Lord properly in calling out to the name of the Lord. And when he passed by that trigger again, that altar, it brought him back to that same place where he called on the name of the Lord again. You following me? And you and I need to have those same spiritual milestones, those same places where when we walk through this, it reminds us of commitments we've made in the past. It reminds us of things that the Lord has revealed to us in the past. And those things need to drive us into worshiping the Lord every time we pass by them. You following me? Now you keep going in the book of Genesis. Over to Genesis chapter 22. We've already read this one. This is when Abraham's going to go and he's going to build an altar. And he's going to sacrifice his son Isaac. Keep your finger there in 22. And let's hit Genesis chapter 26 first. And we're going to go back to Genesis 22. Don't worry. Genesis chapter 26 Verse 25. Now Isaac's in the story. You have Isaac, who's Abraham's son. In verse 24 of chapter 26, it says, The Lord appeared to him, that's Isaac. The Lord appeared to Isaac the same night and said, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. 
I'll bless you and I'll multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. And so he's only repeating the same promise that he gave to Abraham. He's repeating that promise to Isaac and look to see what Isaac does. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord. God revealed himself to Isaac. Isaac responded by building an altar and worshiping the Lord. So Isaac, I'm going to do the same thing for you that I did for your father. Isaac worships saying, here I am, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do. I'm wholly yours. I'll cooperate. Worship. You see, it's possible for God to reveal himself to you in a given situation and you respond with a "Mm -mm, not doing that. And that is not worship. And that's a very, very dangerous place to be. I'm going to go over to the book of Romans chapter 10. Keep your finger over there in Genesis chapter 22. We're going to end up closing out everything with Genesis chapter 22, but I do need to go to Romans chapter 10. I know I told you I was going to stay in Genesis, but Romans chapter 10, verse 9. I want you to see that Paul's making a really big point about worship here. He's making a really big point about salvation. But the main thrust of his point has to do with worship, not just salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says this. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen? Great news. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. These aren't exactly two separate things. This is something that happens simultaneous in the life of a believer. You're confessing with your mouth what you believe in your heart. For with the heart, verse 10, for with the heart, a person believes resulting in salvation excuse me, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And so this is, again, there's two parts to the same thing. You're believing in your heart, you're confessing with your mouth. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. And so he's just finished telling you that Whoever believes in their heart that God raised Christ from the dead will be saved, right? So he's already talked about the faith aspect, and he's already talked about the belief aspect. And then he closes with this. And I want you to see that in verse 10, it starts with 4. Verse 11, it starts with 4. Verse 12, it starts with 4. Verse 13 starts with 4. And so he's he's making a point here with, by the way this is structured. Verse 13. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hopefully you see in your in your Bibles that it's in different font, which means that this is taken from the Old Testament. And so he's looking back as he writes this book of Romans and he's saying that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is so that people who confess and believe naturally worship and they naturally worship in a state that says, Lord, here I am, holy and acceptable to you. However you want to use me, use me. So he says, Salvation is confession and belief, and then that results in a worshiper who is fully open to what God wants them to do. And he says those people, those people who are 
worshiping the Lord, those people will be saved. Follow me? So you, you have all of these Old Testament scriptures that talk about calling on the name of the Lord, calling on the name of the Lord. And all of these people are wholly devoted to following the Lord. That's what makes what they're doing worship. And so now we have Genesis chapter 22. And this is the last scripture that we're going to go to. Genesis chapter 22. The story about Abraham and Isaac. I'm going to start in the beginning of verse 22. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. And so I want you to see that in the life of Abraham, Abraham's called to offer his only son on an altar to the Lord. This isn't the first time that Abraham's offered something on an altar and worshiped the Lord. You see, Abraham has a habit in his life of building altars and worshiping the Lord. And so God isn't asking something crazy from him. Abraham's already said, Lord, here I am. Whatever I have is yours. I'm going to worship you wholly. And so God says, okay, let's see. This time when you say that, I'm going to ask for your son. And so Abraham rose early, verse 3, rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. He split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there. We will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, verse 6, laid it on his son Isaac, and he took the hand, he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place which God told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham, you know the rest of the story, raised his eyes, looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, took the ram, and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day. And the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And so you have Abraham, who has a habit of worshiping God in his life. The Lord reveals himself to Abraham. Abraham responds appropriately by building an altar and worshiping, by giving himself wholly to what the Lord has for him. This time, God asks for everything. Remember, Abraham's in his 90s when he has Isaac. And so God is asking for that beloved son that Abraham waited so long for, and it was his only son. And listen to this. If Abraham would have said no... That would have ceased Abraham's track record of worship. If Abraham listens to what the Lord says, and he takes his son, he takes the fire, he takes the knife, 
and he builds the altar to the Lord and then he doesn't offer his son on the altar, no worship from Abraham because he hasn't properly responded to what God has called him to do. And the reason I want to talk to you briefly about this is because we have a habit of this so bad in our lives. God calls us to do something, but we like where we are so much we don't respond and go where he's calling us to go next. Let me tell you a story. We used to live just outside of Raleigh in Wake Forest. Jesse and I had just had children, right? We just had, uh, Simeon was a baby, Elijah was a little older. Sorry, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit, bud. And we were like awesome, poor parents, right? We had saved up enough money to go to the zoo, and so we're young parents. We're going to take our kids to the zoo, and it's going to be awesome. We even have this idea that we're not going to take the stroller. We're going to take the red wagon that my dad gave us for Christmas. It's one of those... It's not a metal wagon anymore. It's a plastic wagon and the seats fold up. And so we got this cool modern wagon. We're going to just tote these kids all around the zoo. And so we get to the parking lot. We're stoked about seeing all the animals. Kids are all pumped up. We fasten them in the, in the thing. We're pulling kids up and down hills. We buy the kids like an, an icy on the way in. And so everything is awesome. We're at the zoo. Young newlyweds. Excited to be married, excited to have kids, excited to take those kids to the zoo. And we get to the first animal, and I don't even know what the animal was. Let's just say it's a giraffe, and everybody loves the giraffes. Wow! The giraffes will eat whatever you have out of your hand. And so we're standing in front of the giraffes. The whole zoo is at our disposal, and we're in front of the giraffes. And we spend 10 minutes with the giraffes. Isn't this amazing? Isn't the giraffe's tongue the weirdest thing you've ever seen in your life? And then we say, okay, kids, let's go see the rhinoceroses. And we start to walk away from the giraffes. And our perfect family outing turns into a disaster. Because kids start screaming. What are you, what are you crying for? Why are you screaming? We're, we're going to see the rhinoceroses. I want to see the giraffes. I don't want to leave the giraffes. They didn't realize. They were kids. They didn't realize that in order to see all of the other great things in the zoo, you can't stay in front of the giraffes all day. You have to leave the comfort of the giraffes in order to go see the rhinoceroses. And so we bribe them away from that. Like dad starts walking and mom is, is trying to console them. And then we get to the rhinoceroses and we've forgotten about the giraffes. And now we're just enjoying the rhinoceroses. They're big, they're out there in this big dusty area. They're running around like rhinoceroses do. Oh, isn't that cool kids? Dad told you that the rhinoceroses were going to be awesome. Yeah, you were right, dad. We love you. This zoo is so great. You're, you and mom are awesome. They're not really saying this stuff, but this is kind of what we're running through in our mind, right? They're just toddlers at the time. And then it's time to leave the rhinoceroses. And as soon as we start to walk away from the rhinoceroses to go see the bears or the penguins or whatever else, there's immense screaming that takes place. Because we're moving from the comfort of the rhinoceroses to walk somewhere that you can't see over another hill to see the penguins. And so crazy screaming for five minutes to get away from the rhinoceroses. But then we get in front of the penguins and everything's leveled out again and it's cool again. And you would think that this would only happen two or three times, right? And then we would figure out the deal. No. This happened all day long. And like all of your kids do this, right? 
You go to Tomorrowland in Disney World, and your kids never want to leave Tomorrowland. But they don't realize that, that Goofy is right around the corner, right? And they don't want to leave Goofy, even though Mickey Mouse is around the corner, because they don't want to leave where Goofy is. Gang, like, we laugh at the kids when they do this. We do the exact same thing, spiritually speaking. We get comfortable in one spot. And the Lord has called us to put something on the altar. And it's big. And we've gotten comfortable with it. And we don't want to give it up. Do you think Abraham's story would have been near as great if he just said, no, Lord, that's too far. I'm not going. I dare say no. You look at all the people that you look up to in the faith. The people that you look up to in the faith are people who, when God revealed what he wanted from them, they put it on the altar regardless of the cost. They left the giraffe to go see the rhino. They left the rhino to go see the penguins. They freely went where the Lord was taking them. And I want to tell you that that is what worship is. Worship is more than a prayer at dinner time saying thank, saying thank you. Worship is more than singing a song, not paying attention to the words. Worship is when you recognize fully what's going on around you. You know God's calling you in a certain direction. And you respond as a holy child of God, giving their body as a living sacrifice. That's worship. And that's what the Bible says. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You want evidence of your salvation? Now listen, I'm not saying this is what saves you. I want to say this is evidence of your salvation. Is that when God calls you to do something, you respond with an overwhelming yes. Even in the tough times. And so we're going to close out the service in a different way than we normally do. And so I've got the lyrics to a song here. And I want to share them with you briefly. This is a song that uh, you guys know we've kind of been walking through a, a tough time as a church. As the leader of our church under Christ, I've been walking through a tough time too. There's a particular song. Usually I don't listen to music, okay? Usually I listen to some sort of talk radio, some sort of podcast. Uh, so on my favorite bar on my phone, I have uh, texting, calling, the weather, and then podcasts. So those are the apps I use the most. I might as well only have a dozen songs on my phone because I just don't listen to all of them. But this one, when I get in the car and I'm by myself, I listen to because it's worshipful to me. Right? It's not the music, it's the words. There's a couple more songs, but I just want to share this one with you. This one's called In the Eye of the Storm. Okay? And so what we're going to do is I'm going to share with you briefly some of the lyrics, and then Ron has a copy of the song. During our invitation, we're going to play the song. And if you would like to worship the Lord, I'm not going to ask you to sing, I'm going to ask you to give your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. I'm going to ask you to put your yes on the altar for whatever it is the Lord is calling you to. Listen, we have people in this room across the spectrum. So your worship of the Lord today could be to stop an addiction. It could be that. It could be to start doing something small, something as simple as sharing the gospel with a coworker. Or your yes could be to sell everything you have and follow the Lord and move somewhere overseas, taking the gospel to an unreached people group. And so what I want you to see is that worship, offering your body as a living sacrifice, is something, is, is something different for every person in this room right now. 
We are all at different journeys, in different stages of journeys right now. Okay? And so listen to what this says. This is, this is what makes this song worshipful to me. Uh, the song says this. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor. When my sails are torn, your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. And so worship in this verse is that God, when everything is falling apart, you're the anchor. When you're in a storm and your sails are all ripped to pieces, God's the anchor. So worship isn't only when things are going good, right? Worship can be when things are absolutely train wrecking and you look to God as the anchor. And then he says, when the solid ground's fallen out from underneath my feet, between the black skies and my red eyes, I can barely see. When I realize I've been sold out by my friends and my family, I can feel the rain reminding me. And he sings the verse again. In the eye of the storm, he's in control. Then he goes on to the next verse. When my hopes and dreams are far from me and I'm running out of faith, I see the future, I picture slowly fade away. And when the tears of pain and heartache are pouring down my face, I find my peace in Jesus' name. So the worship in that is that, yes, life right now, train wreck. But the peace is found in Jesus. He's the anchor. That's the worship. Lord, everything's falling apart. But not in you. You're steadfast. You're immovable. And you're what my hope is in. And then it gets, uh, it gets more. He says, when the test comes in and the doctor says, I've got a few months left. It's like a bitter pill I'm swallowing. I can barely take a breath. And when addiction steals my baby girl and there's nothing I can do, my only hope is to trust in you. So he goes on and he says, listen, when the rest of it's falling apart, Lord, I'm going to choose to trust in you. And how is that worship? That's worship is that it doesn't matter what your surroundings look like. You're offering yourself as an offering to the Lord. I talked to the kids in Sunday school this morning. The Lord doesn't judge you based on a grading scale, right? What the Lord wants from you is your willingness and your readiness to go and give your best to whatever he says do. And so it may be that you fail at a few things. If that's what the Lord's calling you to do, do it. Do it joyfully. Because that's what he's called you to do. And you just know that you're giving yourself to him no matter where he takes you. And so this is what, this is what the invitation is going to look like. We're going to play the song in a minute. I'm going to close us in prayer. Ron's going to start the song. Stay seated. Okay? Don't get up. You're welcome to pray at your seat. You're welcome to come to the altar and pray. And the prayer is this. It's really simple. Lord, here I am. I want to be a living sacrifice for you, holy and acceptable in your sight. And whatever it is in life that you're calling me to do, I'm going to put my yes on the table. And I'll tell you that when you do this, when I did this for the first time at a, at a youth camp that I was leading, it changed my life. When you realize it's not about everything that you want to do, it's everything about he wants to do life-changing. And so let me close us in prayer. We'll start the song. I'll give you a chance to respond. You don't have to pray with me. You can pray here. If your knees aren't able to pray at the altar, you're welcome to sit on these front rows and pray. 
But listen, I'm going to ask this. Listen closely. If you're one of our active deacons, I'm going to ask you specifically to come to the altar and pray. Doesn't matter what you pray for. You don't have to pray with me. I'm asking you to come to the altar and pray so that there's some movement in the room and other people feel comfortable if they want to get up and come pray also. Give me a little head nod if that all makes sense. So y'all are confused. Let me close this in prayer and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have our invitation. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you that you are a God who reveals himself to us. And Father, I pray that we would be a people who worship you. And Lord, I pray that our worship would be properly responding to what you've revealed to us. Lord, let us be a people who live lives holy and acceptable to you, offering our lives as an offering to you. And Father, I pray that that would always be what we view worship as. And so, Lord, as we come to this time of invitation, I would pray that if there's anyone here who's wrestling with following you, Lord, I pray that you would give them the grace they need to step out in faith and follow you with everything they have. Lord, help us to be a people who are obedient to your call, regardless of what it is. And Father, lastly, if there's anyone here who's never put their faith in you, to forgive them of their sins and to give them eternal life. Lord, I pray that today would be the day you do that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Music, you can pray at your seat or you can come down here and pray. But you can go ahead, Ron. Down, I hope that uh, you're able to do some business with the Lord. I hope that, uh, that each of us will continually put our yes on the altar for God. You know, the tricky thing about a living sacrifice uh, is that it has the ability to crawl off the altar at any time. That's a dangerous spot to be. And so what we did today is something that uh, we need to do every day, and that's continually give our lives to the Lord and be what He's calling us to be. And so you will never realize how great of things God has called you to until you start putting that yes on the altar every day. He wants to do things with you that will absolutely blow your mind. But he can't do them with you or with me until we die to ourselves and live to what he has for us. And so that's always my prayer for our church. I love each and every one of you guys. Thank you for uh, your participation in hopefully worshiping the Lord during that song. I'm going to ask Dr. Tarkington if you would do the honor of closing us in prayer. And then you'll be dismissed.